BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, Voices of Wrestling listener. Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself... How many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to episode 25 of the Emerald Flow Show. We're a podcast on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. You can follow us on Twitter at Emerald Flow Show. And if you're feeling very generous, you can go to VoicesOfWrestling.com slash donate to donate to the show. I'm Gerard Detroyo here with Paul Vosh. Paul, we've made it to 25 episodes. Yeah, not only have we made it to 25 episodes, we're really only like a month and a half away from completing an entire year. So... We're going strong right now, heading into the Christmas season. So does that put us at like the top 1% of podcasts that managed to last the year? Um, I mean, we're getting closer unless like something major happens in like the next couple of months that just causes the whole thing to let us complete. Like both Noah and All Japan go out of business and we don't have anything to cover anymore. Theoretically not uh, impossible. Otherwise, we're grand. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, now, I think... Cody Rhodes said it best when he said, What do you guys want to talk about? But we'll uh, deal with that later. So first off, I had to just talk about uh, John Moxley versus um, Kanosuke Takeshita from the last episode of Rampage. Paul, this is my new match of the year, actually. I went five stars on it. Um, I just thought it was incredible. I thought it was a match where every move made sense in the context of the match. This might sound like a strange comparison, but I compared it to, have you ever seen Hideki Suzuki versus Josh Barnett from IGF? Yeah, I've seen that one. That one is, that one is amazing. So it's as good as that one. Well, yeah, but I, the reason why I sort of invoked that match, because to me, every move in that match made sense. And there was like no wasted motion, basically. And to me, that's like, the pinnacle of pro wrestling because obviously like in so many matches even in you know i mean infamously like kento miyahara and uh 
Kazuchika Okada, you know, there's a little bit of filler at times, right? But Yes, no, both of them have their structure. And yeah, they tend to just put some filler in there sometimes in the middle of the match. But to me, what it just made it like a perfect match was just how they used every second of the match. And it was just incredible. Oh, and the fact that the, the crowd started booing Moxley and ch- chanting for Takeshita, which was an incredible moment, I thought. That, that is genuinely impressive because getting that crowd to boo Mox, like especially with like the, the stature that Mox now has with the AEW crowd, like, and maybe it's time to strap up Takeshita. Uh, definitely. I mean, I think after this point, he's going to get that big win on like TV and not on like dark, and the crowd will go unglued. It'll be like nuclear heat. I mean, he is signed to AEW now, right? So now he's your guy, so... Now you can push him. Now you can put titles on him. So I think really like they need to do it if that's the reaction that he got for that match. Absolutely. But I just thought I would touch on that match really quickly because I just thought it was so incredible. Uh, So there's not a lot of Noah news this week, uh, but there is uh, some uh, financial news on sort of cyber fights uh, finances in uh, the fiscal year, last fiscal year that ended in September, they lost uh, 682 million yen, which is just under $5 million US, and versus a losses of 284 million yen in 2021. Uh, Paul, I think in 2022, they had some, uh, and coming up, they'll have a few uh, extra paychecks to write. No, it's clear that Cyberfight is doomed. Doomed. No, I think it's fine. Like, I think they had like a lot of like relatively large capital expenditures as well. Like they had to complete like Wrestle Universe redesign. They had some really massive kind of like stages and everything that they were using this year. Like they ran some really big buildings. So I'm not surprised at all that they lost five million. Like it's it's. It would have actually, if they had actually made a profit this year, that actually would have been, like, if that was the story, that would have been a massive success because I don't think anyone in Cyberfight or in Abima expected them to make any kind of profit this year. So the fact that they really only lost, like, 5 million, which is nothing for a company like uh, Abima, like, I think really is not a concerning thing at all. Obviously, long-term, like, I would assume that they would prefer it if they made a profit, but again, at the end of the day, Cyberfight is a line item that is supposed to provide content for Abima. So really, as long as losses don't go out of control, I don't think anyone should be really too worried about it. I would say that the only possible issue in the horizon is that um, Cyber Agents' profits were down this year versus last, and their projections for the next couple of years are... Um, the profits are lower, but they saying that's because their games division is releasing fewer games and that they're investing more in Abima because they put the World Cup on Abima in Japan and they paid a lot for it. And it, and, and it paid off for them as well because the Japanese team went really far in that one. So I would assume that that will probably really like help their brand as well. And that can only mean positive things for Cyberfight itself as well if Abima's profile becomes that much larger. Absolutely. So that's why I don't be, I wouldn't be particularly concerned about the losses, but I think it's sort of interesting that they're up. Yeah. No, no, no. It is, like I said, it is a line item. And then at the end of the day, I mean, the way I can compare it to is like ROH when it was owned by Sinclair, 
where like our rate losing money wasn't necessarily that much of an issue until obviously Sinclair made that ill-fated purchase of the baseball channels and then all of a sudden like over leveraged themselves on debt and needed to cut costs and then something like RH becomes like a luxury item that you don't really need anymore and that then really endangered the future until they got bought by Tony Khan so really unless like Cyberfight does something stupid on like does like a stupid M&A move or something like that that will then result in them having to cut costs or cut the fat basically that's when I would get worried for Cyberfight but I wouldn't worry wouldn't be worried about Cyberfight like losing a little bit of money no, definitely not. Uh, so we'll move on then to All Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, not much going on here, right, Paul? Yeah, no, no, nothing's really happened in All Japan. Like, I think it's just been a real kind of quiet week. And I think, you know, I mean, I know it's a short episode, but I think maybe like seven minutes sometimes is good too. So let's just end it here. So yeah. see, you in, see you in about two weeks. Okay, yeah, bye. Okay, no, seriously, we will get into everything that's happened. And we start off with... Uh, the second to last show of the Real World Tag League that happened on December 4th in Osaka Edeon Arena, number two, in front of 707 fans. First tournament uh, match of the show was the Junior Battle of Glory. Rising Hayato defeated Ryo Inoue in 5:28 with the Sid Vicious. We went over this on last episode. Hayato is really hitting a stride, and Inoue has got his new shooter persona and everything. So this is a, a nice little opener, I thought. Yeah, this was a really nice opener as well, I agree. I really like, I mean, we've been talking about like Ryuina, like adding like the kicks and everything to his uh, repertoire. But I really felt like he like got much more comfortable with that persona, like throughout this entire tour as well. And I would even say that this might have been like my favorite match of his for the entire tournament. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, I thought it was pretty good. I'd have to think uh, about that. Uh, and go back and look at my notes at some of the earlier stuff in the tournament because I really liked his match against uh, Atsuki as well. And then next up, uh, Hikaru Sato defeated Hokuto Omori in 9 minutes and 56 seconds via referee stoppage. Once again, Omori couldn't last to the bell, which, you know, makes him a a bit like a geek, but the same thing did happen to Atsuki earlier on in the tournament as well. Uh, I've always really enjoyed the chemistry between these two, and this was no exception. And I honestly thought that, like, Omori had a chance here, but that didn't turn out to be true. So, yeah, they really went with the whole, like, Hokuto Omori loses all of his matches in this tournament. So I'm really curious what they're going to do with him in 2023. Actually, after this match happened, I was fully convinced that he was going to leave the promotion at the beginning of the year. Paul, what are you but talking since about? Since then, People he leaving? has kind of... He has kind of like dispelled those rumors, so doesn't seem like he's leaving. So I'm so that obviously hopefully means that they have some sort of plan for him going forward. Well, Paul, as you know, no one ever leaves all Japan. No, definitely no one leaves all Japan. No one has left all Japan in the last couple of days. There's been no major movements there. And then so next up, uh, we go to Atsuki Aoyagi defeated Dan Tamer in nine minutes and twenty nine seconds with the La Magistrale. Um, I guess, well, we can talk about that later, but some interesting booking here, I think, with Aoyagi going over, and I thought this was pretty good. I thought the last couple of minutes were a lot of fun with sort of uh, Aski sort of finally coming from behind to win it with a bit of a flash pin, although I think they would have a better match in them, and we'll talk about that in a minute. 
yeah, I thought this was fine. I probably have like a bit, probably had a few too high expectations for this one. But it was still an overall solid match. I think they worked the story here really well with Dan just having been so dominant throughout the entire tournament. Uh, that it worked really well that Atsuki was working from underneath despite the fact that he is the champion. So I thought that was a story that worked pretty well here. But yeah, as he talked about, like they were going to have a better match later. And then we'll jump into the real world tag league matches, Paul, unless you want to talk about the bodyguard. Uh, I mean, I would always love to talk about the bodyguard, but there really is nothing to say about this match. <laughs> no, except for it seems with the Shino gone, Honda has to start becoming a jobber again. I mean, I was actually wondering if these are like pins he was going to take anyway. Like it's actually like even more after like a match on like the next show. I'm wondering maybe if they were even supposed to win the tournament, like if they were maybe just like the guys that got a load of wins early and then were like faltering down the stretch. And if these like pins that he is taking on, like the two shows we're reviewing today, like if these were pins he was supposed to take anyway. Um, I actually think they were. I I know. uh, Sorry. I mean, I think I'm still pretty confident that they were going to at least force a final, uh, if nothing else. And and they had to throw that out with uh, Ashino's injury. Um, Just some of the ways that they went into the final night was just, I thought, a little weird. So it still seemed to me like that was uh, really screwed things up. And then the next match in the real world tag league, uh, Jake Lee and Yuma Aoyagi defeated Yuji Nagata and Yuma Anzai in 13 minutes and 10 seconds when uh, Jake used the backdrop on um, Anzai. This was pretty good, I thought. I enjoyed uh, actually some of the stuff between Nagata and Jake. And, um, you know, Anzai still looks strong here. I thought Yuma gave Anzai a lot and really sold for him to try to establish him. Yeah. Yuma Yuma really was... Because Yuma is kind of training the dojo as well, right? So, like, these two would actually have, like, quite a bit of experience against each other. Yes, I believe so. So I I thought that that was really, like, evident here. Well, like, Yuma was willing to give... Okay, this is getting confusing. We need to, we need to figure out a system here. <laughs> we, need to, we need to start calling... Like, I don't know if it was... We can't even call... Well, we probably have to call Yuma by his first name because we can't call him Aoyagi because there's another Aoyagi. So I guess just call Anzai... Yuma Anzai Anzai because otherwise this gets confusing. We could go, so I really thought that like... Yuma was willing to give Anzai a lot here. Uh, I agree with that and... I really think a lot of that was down to him being his trainer and just also knowing that, like, this guy's the future of the promotion. Yeah, uh, we could also call him Blue Yuma. So we're going to call him Blue Yuma. And, well, I mean, we don't have a color for the other one yet because it just has black trunks. So we're going to have to wait until Yuma Anzai gets his, like, proper colors and then we can give him, like, a color name as well. <laughs> And then next up, uh, Real World Tag League, Suwama and Kono defeated uh, Kuma, uh, sorry, Koji Doi and Kuma Arashi in 14 minutes and two seconds with a giant knee drop from Kono on Arashi. Not good. <laughs> yeah, this was bad. Yeah. This was really bad. Um, you know, what did, what, what did you expect, I guess? Because they were going to pull out the stops. Because I guess like Doi and Arashi are basically like sort of baby faces now. I think they're very clear baby faces, especially with Total Eclipse just being over. I think, like, I don't think they really have, like, any kind of, like, peelish thing in them anymore. But, yeah, this was just, like I said, 
talked about this earlier how like the voodoo murderous team just go like back and forth basically on like cheating and not cheating i guess this time around it actually worked out for them with the cheating for once but yeah i don't know it was just kind of just the worst kind of voodoo murderous match really and then the main event in the real world tag league kento miyahara and takuya nomura defeated shuji ishikawa and cyrus in 17 minutes and 36 seconds with a diving rolling clutch hold uh from nomura on cyrus that was also assisted by a uh, blackout knee from kento um and i think nomura is only the second person other than kento to pin cyrus in all japan so far so that's a bit of a feather in his cap. Paul, I thought this was really good. Um, again, we'll talk about what I thought was a better match in a minute. Uh, but they sort of established some of the dynamics that would go into uh, the match on the following show. And also why I think uh, we were talking about, well, was uh, GOA supposed to go this far? I really don't think that they were going to do the same match in both tournaments back-to-back with the same results over two on back-to-back shows just makes no sense um i mean i guess so so you would would have expected then that like ishikawa and cyrus would have gone over on the final night and then like they would have like in the normal tag match then that way they would have forced the final and then like goa would have won like the rematch on the same night because wouldn't that be the only thing that would make mathematical sense? Well, I think um, if GO... No, I think what the idea would have could have been is uh, GOA beat Cyrus in Ishikawa, and then, then they beat Takuya and Kento, but then you do the breakup angle between Kento and Takuya. I mean, I guess so, but again, like, you could have still done that and just... Like I, well, to be fair, we don't know if Cyrus is going to be around for the like New Year's shows, so that might have been an issue why they didn't have those two guys win. Right. But yeah, it, it is definitely like very weird that we basically got the same match with the same result essentially back to back as well. And then, so we move on to the then we move on to the uh, final night of the Real World Tag League on December seventh at uh, Corican Hall in front of eight hundred and one fans. Uh, so I'll just mention this. Uh, they sort of have a Junior Battle of Glory special tag match to open the show, and it was Hikaru Sato and Ryo Ino, Ryo Inoue defeating Hokuto Omori and Rising Hayato uh, in 7 minutes and 11 seconds when uh, 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 Sato used a Death Valley bomb on 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 Hayato and not Inoue, and uh, Omori did also not do the job. So I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, it would also kind of become clearer, like, why Sato got the win here as well. But, yeah, it is interesting that, like, that Omori isn't the guy that took the pin here after he literally lost to every single person in the tournament. So, yeah, I mean, they're definitely, like, giving Sato a bit of a push because he's going to challenge for the belt. But, yeah, I wonder, like, what's going to happen. But I guess we'll talk about that a bit more, like, when we talk about the Junior Battle of Glory final. And then I think this is relevant. Uh, Suji Ishikawa and Cyrus defeated Ryuki Honda and Izanagi in 5 minutes and 28 seconds when Cyrus used a good old Vader bomb on Honda. Uh, this was like a squash. I thought Honda and Cyrus worked really well together. Uh, I would have liked to have seen, obviously, the full GOA team versus Ishikawa and Cyrus because I think that could have been a great match. Uh, but 
yes, you know, Honda. But I think here Honda doing the job was to put over Cyrus as a threat as opposed to, oh, he pins in Zanagi. Oh, big deal. Yeah. No, I, I would I would say so as well. Like that just really like establishes Cyrus as just that much more of a threat, like going into the finals as well. And well, I mean, unless, you know, like Izanagi literally like walked out after the next match happened, basically. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. In the all Asia tag team title four match, Takao Mori, uh, Masao Inoue coming out to the NTV sports theme, which I thought was a nice touch. Defeated Yusuke Kodama and Masato Hanabata, the former champions, Yoshitatsu and Tajiri, as well as Black Mensa Ray and ATM. Uh, in seven minutes and seven seconds, when um, Inoue pinned Hanabata after an axe bomber from Omori, and they failed in their first defense. I don't know what the point of the title change was, because Yoshitatsu and Tajiri were in this anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's very obvious that they have, like, literally zero plans for the All-Asia titles at the moment. Like, they're just basically, like, it's what I would describe. It's basically just, like, it's Doi Darts booking. And I don't mean that in, like, the positive thing where, like, it's oh, it's Doi Darts. It results in an exciting match that is completely random. I mean, more like they probably just have a rotating dartboard. And then they just throw darts at it to determine who's going to be, like, who's going to win, like, the All-Asia Tag Team titles next. So, like, that's just what this feels like. And I have a feeling that that's what it's going to be like for, like, the next little while. Because I don't think... There doesn't seem to be anyone, like, whoever is, like, booking now. There doesn't seem to be anyone there that has any kind of interest in, like, putting any kind of coherent story together here. Well, we got uh, somewhat of a story after the match. Uh, I wish I'd watched this live because I was spoiled on what happened after. Because I... I, I kind of wonder what I my reaction would have been if when I hear that music hit. So we got the barks of the dogs and then Nosawa wrong guys theme. And he comes out and I think the gist of his promo was something about like, oh, why are you defending these prestigious All-Asia tag team titles in like a four-way and everything like that? And then he challenges and says, oh, well, I need a partner and it's going to be Kendo Caution. Paul, I don't like this at all. What, Nosawa's booking free promotions now, right? I mean, that's what's happening here, obviously. Like, he will, like, he will just slowly but surely, like, take over booking for literally every promotion in Japan. Like, he's booking, no, he's booking Dragon Gate, he's booking All Japan, and you'll know that within, like, two weeks, he's probably going to be bo- uh, booking New Japan as well. Well, uh, a friend of the pod, Voices of Wrestling contributor Griffin, noted that he's still up on the great website, too. Oh, yeah, so he's booking that one as well, obviously. So it's probably going to book... Big Japan, although to be fair, if he actually starts booking Big Japan, that's probably an improvement. That would be improvement, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and we'll get into more of what Nosawa in All Japan means later. Next up in the real world tag league, uh, Jake Lee and Yuma Aoyagi defeated Koji Doi and Kuma Rashi in 14 minutes and 16 seconds when uh, Aoyagi pinned Arashi. Um, I thought this was decent i thought it was a little unfocused in the middle but i thought the last few minutes especially like the uh arashi and yuma stuff was good yeah uh, i was a little bit because dis- i was really looking forward to this match but as i said like it was just kind of like middling for a while there i really liked the closing sequence but yeah everything before that i don't know like it was just really kind of missing like urgency i would say 
because like Kojido and Kumarashi were technically still alive here. Obviously, Jake and Yuma weren't anymore. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I really like the finish, but then everything before that I thought was just like a bit boring, to be honest. And next up, we have a lot to talk about here. Yuji Nagata and Yuma Anzai defeated Suwama and Kono in 12 minutes and 49 seconds when Anzai pinned Suwama with a German suplex hold. I mean, regardless of some of the stuff that I didn't like in this match, it was still, I thought, just obviously a shocking result and a, and a positive result. And, well, there's your proof that this guy's going to be a big deal. Yeah, I mean... If you still don't think that they think that this guy is going, like despite everything that they've done so far, if you still somehow don't think that All Japan thinks this kid is a big deal, like just look at this. Like they literally debuted him a bit Budokan against fucking Yuji Nagari, Nagara. Had him like light, had, had him, had his theme played live in the arena. And then just like two months, like two to three months later, he gets his first ever pin over Suwama, of all people. Like, they are going to push this kid, and they're going to push him fast. Like, if it's going to work, it's a different question, but they are absolutely, definitely going to try. Like, he is going to get a rocket push, like, next year. Like, I don't think he's going to win the Triple Crown. Like, I think that would be absolutely insane. But he's probably going to challenge for that belt. Like, he might already challenge for it next year. He had the very latest will challenge for the Triple Crown in 2024. And I don't think that's a very, like, outrageous prediction. Oh, no, not at all. Um, definitely not. Um, so next up, we had Kento Miyahara and Tukuya Nomura defeated Jun Saito and Rei Saito in 11 minutes and 59 seconds uh, via referee stop. Nomura used a choke sleeper on Jun. Uh, this was basically, you know, the winner of this match would face... Uh, Shuji and Cyrus in the basically the finals. I like this match. I thought it was good. I, Paul, I'm just gonna say it. I think the Saitos have improved over the course of this tournament. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're good. <laughs> I don't think they'll ever be like good, but they definitely like they have absolutely like found their style. They found their formula that works for them. And I think if they're in there with like top level talent like Kento and Nomura then they can definitely have like a really good match. All of their matches against high like high tier talent has generally delivered. And, well, and of course also Cyrus. <laughs> but uh we'll talk about more him more about his development in a second I think. Um but yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed this and I really enjoyed the last couple of matches that the Saitos had in this tournament. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think I would just compare like this match, for example, with the match that they had with GOA earlier in the year. And I think this is like on another level. Like I thought that like the match they had with GOA somewhat exceeded my expectations. I really like that one. But like I think I feel like this one, like that like like they just feel like so much more like comfortable now in their roles than they did then. Like, then they were still kind of, like, finding themselves, and I think they really have, like, found themselves now. And they, are, they also, like, are, like, an act that I don't think you can really find anywhere except for All Japan. So I think that really helps them as well, that they're very unique as well. Yes, absolutely. And I think I noticed there was, like, Saito... Someone had a Saito Brothers sign in the crowd, which I thought was a really nice touch. Um Oh, I just realized, Paul, on the previous show, and we got to talk about this because it's voodoo murders related, so I will. 
Did you see the woman in the crowd during uh, the Suwama and Kono versus uh, Kojidoi match uh, who gave the finger to Suwama? Uh, yeah, I think I remember that one. That woman speaks for all of us. <laughs> yeah, that woman, <laughs> no, definitely. She is not pro voodoo murderers. And it's also like, to be fair, also like giving the finger like from the crowd. Like I don't feel like I've really seen that from like a Japanese crowd. Well, Suwama went I guess right the, up to her and yelled at her. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I guess you have to find a way if you're still not allowed to like boo. So I think, if re- I mean, I think maybe that is just a, more of a show of like how frustrated Japanese crowds are with like not being allowed to like cheer at every show that they're actually like starting to just like flip people off instead. <laughs> yes, definitely. But I thought it was just hilarious. The best part of the match. Some would say that was the only good part of the match. <laughs> and then next up, we go to the Junior Battle of Glory final. Atsuki Oyagi defeated Dan Tamara in 17 minutes and one second with the Firebird Splash. They're going all the way with Atsuki. I mean, it is uncommon for the champion to win a tournament. I guess I would have preferred Dan winning, but I'm not particularly upset by this result at all and i thought this was the best dan tamara match i've ever seen and the best performance from him i'm i've ever seen he was still a little shaky at parts like he blew that what was going to be a death valley bomb off the top rope or something um and sort of just became a slam off the top rope and stuff like that but still like this was very good yeah no i I really like this one as well i don't have an issue at all with atsuki winning here I think it makes sense if you want to like properly establish himself, establish him as the ace. I think actually having him hold the belt and giving him the win here makes a ton of sense because I think that just definitively proves to everyone that like he's the guy. Like, and if you want to like get to the top of promotion, like that's the guy you need to beat definitively as well. So, I from that perspective, I think the booking here makes sense. Uh, yeah, as I said, I also agree that this was Dan's best ever singles match. Like, thought that was a really strong performance from him. Yeah, he can still improve his consistency, but I really feel like throughout this, I think what I've been talking about as well throughout this tournament is that, like, just like the Citus actually in the, in the tag league, is that Dan has really, like, found a style now that works for him because he was just too heavily focused on the grappling before. Whereas now he is just like a lot more of like a power guy. And I think that make that works really well if he's in there with a flyer like Atsuki Eoyagi. Where like he can, because he is like such a thick boy, he can like base very well for Eoyagi. So Eoyagi can like go a bit more wild on the high flying stuff as well. And then Dan can like kind of throw around Eoyagi as well. And that just results in a really, really good like match structure as we've seen here. But I would say that these guys probably have an even better match in them, which I'm certain we will see at some point soon as well. I agree. Yeah, they probably could probably get something um, better in time. And I think so. I guess it'll be interesting, though. Like, do they do something with Dan right away? Or was this just like, oh, we'll send Dan to the finals just because we need to send someone to the finals? Like, do you think he's going to be elevated coming out of this? I would say it's going getting elevated or coming out of this because like just look at where he is now compared to where he was like six months ago. Like six months ago he was just like the young like he was still the young boy in evolution, just 
getting pinned like left, right, and center, just getting like beaten up by Suwama like after he turned on them. And then he like goes to Budokan, wins the All Asia titles, and then goes on a really dominant run here uh, in the Junior Battle of Glory. So I think he's already been elevated. And I think that he is also going to stick because like they are really clearly going for like a like like refreshment of the junior division. So really kind of building it around uh Eoyagi, Hayato and him makes a ton of sense. Now I don't think he's going to get like a massive push like right away coming out of this. He's probably gonna like, fade for like a little bit. But I think they've like brought him to a level now where they're going to be like really easily able to like reheat him and ha- and like give him a title match like at some point probably and like the, maybe the first quarter of the year, but I would definitely say like he's getting a title shot at the very latest, like sometime soon after the Champion Carnival. Paul, you forgot to mention that six months ago, Dan was also being put in a dog collar. Oh yeah, yeah no, that, that's what I mean exactly. Like he was like, like, he wasn't just like getting beaten up by like voodoo murderers. Like he was getting humiliated as well. So I thought this was very clearly like a thing to then like launch him into a push afterwards, which is what they've done as well. Right. Maybe we should get a, since dog collar matches are all the rage again, maybe we should get a Dan Tamer versus Suwama dog collar match. I mean, that's where I thought that was whole thing was leading when they like kept putting him in a dog collar. Uh, and then he, they like, he did never even got like a singles match with Suwama, which I mean, I'm fine if Dan loses that, but like they kind of built that up and then didn't, do anything with it really right and then we move on to what was the real world tag league finals kento miyahara and takuya no more defeated shuji ishikawa and cyrus in 20 minutes and 37 seconds when uh miyahara pinned uh ishikawa with the shutdown german suplex i thought it was interesting that they didn't have cyrus do another job they really are eliminating cyrus's jobs to the point where ishikawa is taking them in his place Paul, I thought this was great. I thought this was the best match of the tournament. I thought just the structure of it was awesome. Like Cyrus and Kento started and Cyrus just came out swinging and like beat up Kento. And then, you know, they like Nomura and Miyahara made their comeback and just great. In the last few minutes, I thought one of the strengths also of having Ishikawa take the pin here is that like Ishikawa and Kento could do their thing in like the finishing sequence, which would have been better probably than like a finishing sequence with Cyrus. Yeah. I don't think I liked quite as much as you did, but I thought it was a really, really strong match. I thought it was better than the first match that they had. Uh, I thought just like Cyrus just kind of pummeling like Miyahara and everything. I thought that would like, I think that always works really well. Just have a big guy just beat up on Kento. Like, the same way, actually, like, yeah, Ishikawa was doing, like, early on in, like, Kento's run as an ace. So I think if they kind of, like, transition, like, because obviously Shuji doesn't, clearly doesn't want to be in that role anymore. So if they just transition him out of it and put Cyrus in there instead, I think that would work really well. And, yeah, if Cyrus just keeps developing at the pace that he's developing at, then... I mean, I would almost say that All Japan might not be able to, like, hold on to him for much longer because he's probably, like getting eyes from bigger promotions relatively soon if like his development keeps up keeps up the pace now so i yeah and also oh that spot where like cyrus was on his knees and then nomura jumps off of cyrus's back to slap ishikawa who's sitting up on the top rope was awesome 
yeah, that was like, like I'm not sure if I would say this was the best match of the tournament, but that was absolutely the spot of the tournament because yeah, I popped up when I saw that one. That was really cool. Like I uh, think in general, like I probably like Takuya like in the like Kento Miyahara and Takuya Nomura team. I probably liked Nomura more throughout the entire tournament than Kento because Kento was still solid, but like he also kind of clearly was just kind of like coasting a little bit as well and letting Takuya do most of the work. Uh, yes, early on, although I thought Kento worked hard in this and I thought Kento really sold hard for Cyrus in this and really tried to make him put over as a monster. Like, And both guys being put over as a monster because Ishikawa was like no-selling the knee and uh, kick combo that uh, Nomura and Miyahara did and it took two of them to like sort of knock him down before Kento could get him in the shutdown German. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I mean definitely mean like in this match, yeah, both worked hard, but I was more talking about like the tournament in general where well, I think Kento was like holding back a little bit which I would assume is also fair but yeah now I'm actually curious like with this booking though with them winning and that means presumably means they're gonna get a title shot at some point well yeah January 2nd yeah so them being kind of like in both title matches now because they also announced that Kento Miyahara with Takuya Nomura is also going to be a triple crown title match do you think they're going to win the titles the night before and then have the singles match? Or do you think that more or less guarantees that Suwam and Kono are going to keep the bells? Well, see, I'm leaning towards Suwam and Kono retaining, but I mean, Kento was talking about how Nomura wants to work more dates in all Japan next year, which I'm all for, obviously. I mean, I think he, you know, probably wants to you know, do more stuff outside of big Japan and who can blame him, even if it is in all Japan, uh, given everything that's going on there. Uh, so uh, I could see them winning. Absolutely. Um, but I could also see them like just breaking up the team and then them going into the match as like, you know, not on the best of terms. Um, but I also wanted to talk about Cyrus a bit. I mean, he has shown improvement all throughout his run in all Japan not just in this tournament, although I think he, he was definitely looking a lot better in the last couple of matches in the tournament and then in the first couple of matches. I'm not sure if I agree that someone else is going to snap him up because I don't think he's really what... Like, if this was like 30 years ago, yeah. But I don't know if bigger American companies would do that. I could see him in ROH, but I, I, I don't know if it would be much bigger than that, to be honest with you. Ah. Um. I mean, maybe, but I was also thinking about potentially like other companies in Japan, not necessarily like companies in America. Oh, I see. Yes. Oh, I could see impact. Uh, but um, yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, if he gets really uh, like the thing is, and I really do like Cyrus and I think he's going to be staying, even though the guy that brought him in the company is leaving. Uh, because everyone else seems to like him. Mihara sells for him. Him and Ishikawa seem to be best buddies, uh, judging by Ishikawa's Twitter feed. Um, so, yeah. I mean, he is 35 years old. And, you know, I think maybe at that age and that size, you know, the bigger guys do break down faster and earlier. And, you know, I mean, I, I think this was less of an issue in this tournament, but his conditioning isn't the greatest. And I'm not sure how many, like what 350, 400 pound guys, um, like conditioning improves when they're 35 years old. Like I, you know, I don't want to beat him up too much on this stuff. I really like him and I really want him to stay in all Japan. I just 
don't necessarily see him getting scooped up or necessarily like becoming a tippy top guy, but I think he is a great tag team wrestler. And I think that's really what I think his his uh, niche could be. Yeah, and I also think that like he fits in in all Japan the best. Like I think style-wise he fits really well. Uh, and that all Japan is obviously the big man promotion in Japan, so I think that really helps him as well. Uh and I mean what I will say that I think he's easily like the best foreigner they've brought in in quite a long time. Like I'm actually trying to think who was like the last foreigner that all Japan brought in on like a regular basis that I thought was a better worker than him. And I probably have to go back like quite a while. Joel like, Red. Because I can't even think of anyone off the top of my head in like the last like like I don't know, six to eight years really. Joel Redman? Redman was always like solid. Like, I think technically I would say Redman is a better worker, but I never thought he was, like, super, like... He was solid. Like, he was never really, like, super interesting, I want to say. Like, I feel I feel like someone like Cyrus, who's technically not as good of a worker, is more interesting because he has, like, a more unique look and everything. And I don't think, like, Redman... Like, Redman just looks very, like, generic white guy wrestler, basically. Well, I hate to bring him up, but what about Dylan James? I guess, yeah, right at the end of his run, when he had that, like, amazing, like, champion carnival before, you know, he (laughs) tried to, like, abduct the minor. Yes, uh, well, that happened before that, I think. But, okay, but, like, didn't they stop booking him because, like, I forgot. No, it was the fight, allegedly. He got into a bar fight and lost. Oh, you know, that's such a fucking 80s reason to stop booking someone. <laughs> uh, like, oh, yeah, Bill Watts is running all Japan. It really is. Like, oh, you stop. It's, yeah. I mean, that makes, I mean, are we sure he isn't? <laughs> because, I mean, you just look at the Cyruses. Oh, you look at the Cyruses. You look at, the, you look at Cyrus, you look at the Saitos, and like, that, that's absolutely things I could see in like Mid-South in the 80s. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. But I mean, that was all Japan in the '80s too. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, maybe the spirit of Giant Baba from the '80s is booking all Japan. Maybe um, it would be an improvement. Uh, so I don't know. What do you think of the tournament overall, Paul? I think I thought overall, like, enjoyed the tournament. There wasn't really a much of anything in there that like blew me away, but I thought it was really, really solid. Definitely in terms of like recent real world attack leaks. Like it didn't really hit the highs of some of the like, like I would say it was, I liked it more than the 2020 and the 2021 version. Don't think I liked it as much as like the 2019 version, but I think they're going in the right direction. Yes, I think but, it was better than any of the pandemic, other pandemic real world tag leaks for sure. But yeah, yeah not, like this had more energy. You had at least some tr- shows that had cheering and everything. And yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like that at the end of the day, like Kento Miyahara, like wins it. I don't think is really like super inspiring. Like Takuya is a new winner, but then like Kento obviously isn't. So I would have like liked it more if someone had won it that hadn't really won it before. Although obviously with this kind of like, like that's why it would have been great. Like if Ashino hadn't gotten injured and like him and Honda would have won because that would have been a new winner. But obviously like, we couldn't have gotten a new winner with this like 
lineup because basically like if you put like between Kento and Truji like that's like when is like the last time when like neither Kento nor Shuji Ishikawa like won the real world tag like you could probably have to go back for a while 2018 for it was Joe Doring and the aforementioned Dylan James yeah exactly so that's already that's already like four years ago that's like four like real world tag leagues back so uh yeah I, I at this point i would have liked like someone like a bit newer to like win it but obviously that kind of got ruined with ashino getting injured so i get why they like basically went back to the safe hands as like the backup plan yep definitely and so uh we'll get into the upcoming cards because they announced a lot of stuff but uh, unfortunately hikaru sato um, suffered an injury while wrestling on the Tenru Project show on December 11th, and he's been diagnosed with a lower back contusion, which I believe is like just a big bruise. But obviously, you want to rest on that, but lest it cause like more damage. So he hasn't been pulled from the January shows, but he's been pulled from the December shows. Yeah, I think with a contusion, I think there's a decent chance he will be able to make those shows because. And he still has like three weeks, essentially, more or less, until then. So I think there's a decent chance he's going to make those, especially if he just rests up for the rest of the year now. But there is an outside chance he will get pulled, but I'm feeling pretty confident that he's going to make that match with Aoyagi. But obviously, it's going to be interesting to see like if it still like affects him during the match or not. Okay, so we move on to Shinkiba First Ring on December 21st, which I'm actually quite looking forward to almost as much as the show on Christmas because there's going to be cheering, and I think it's going to be that crowd's going to be very emotional uh, for reasons we'll get into in a second. So we get tag match uh, Ryuki Honda and Masao Hanabata versus Dan Tamar and Hikaru Sato. That's obviously going to be changed, but no announcement has been made. Suwama, Suwama versus Takao Mori. Um, I would normally say I would be looking forward to it, but not right now. <laughs> um, then Yoshitatsu and Tajiri versus Jun Saito and Rei Saito. Paul, is someone doing the job on their way out of the territory in this? Yes, it's Yoshitatsu because he's also leaving, right? <laughs> uh, well, I, I will touch on that because, okay, I'll just say it. Sounds like they opted just not to renew Tajiri's contract and told him hit the road. And so, like, why don't they do that to to, uh, to Yoshitatsu? <laughs> I don't know. It's, yeah. I don't really know what they see, what the value is they see still in Yoshitatsu. Especially, like, since they let Tajiri go for, like, I think we're going to, like, talk about that a bit more on, like, a later bit, like, why Tajiri left. But, yeah, like, especially if that was the reason that Tajiri was, like, basically, like, let go, then, like, I don't really see why you think that Yoshitatsu has any value then either. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. But I really like, I think it's very safe to say that the Saitas are going to get the pin here over uh, the guy leaving the territory, which is Tajiri. Not well, Yoshitatsu, unfortunately. Tajiri seems to like the Saitas, uh, as far as I can tell. So, he no, very obviously, there. he literally like accompanied them for like a good chunk of their excursion. Yeah, like he even took them to the the UK and everything. So like, I wouldn't be surprised if he just like, if he even does like a stretcher drop or something like that. Because especially if he's not really going to be around in Japan all that much. Uh, no, uh, he's got actually a, a match on January third in Kyushu Pro, but I don't know if he has any bookings in Japan beyond that. 
and then I believe this is Izanagi's last match. Yeah, it is in All Japan. Izanagi versus Black Menso Ray. And it says it's a single match, 11-minute one-off match. Does that mean it's a one-fall match with an 11-minute time limit? I don't know. Uh, yeah, who knows? I mean, Black Menso Ray is going to get the win here. I would and I wouldn't so. even just say that this is Izanagi's last All Japan. Pan match because I don't think it's going to work as Izanagi elsewhere. So it's probably going to be like the last Izanagi match. Ever. Oh yeah, that's very true. All right. Well, Purple Haze is finally dead, Paul. Yeah, I think now everyone's gone. Yeah, because we haven't really. Yeah, I think no one really is left in the promotion now that is still like regularly working there. Well, yeah, because Iria hasn't been around in a few months. Yeah, because Iria has been busy with like stuff and like strong hearts and everything. So. And he's traveling again because I know he's like got a, he's wrestling in Canada in January. And he's going to uh, Germany in March for 16 Carat again. So yeah, uh, Purple Haze is truly and fully gone now. Yeah, uh, Paul, do you think that I don't know? I mean, he's only 37. Do you think they should like bring back Yohei Nakajima? Because of the what, the direction the junior division is going in now, yeah, I mean he's still on that like self-imposed suspension back from he was like supposed to team with the mysterious Black Tiger Seven. So maybe now is the time to like bring him back from that suspension. And no, I also feel like Yohei Nakajima, like all kidding aside, Yohei Nakajima fits him better than Black Mansaray in that current junior division. I mean, it's also like notable that he hasn't really done anything within the junior division recently. Like he was just teaming with Izanagi, and Izanagi is now gone. So, like, that's one less comedy guy. Like, what's he gonna do? Wrestle Masao in a way in opening matches on every show? Yeah, especially if like Takao Mori isn't really doing all that much of that stuff either. It, like, there's really like nothing. F- like, I guess maybe team with ATM. It would be like his one thing to do at this point. Yeah. But, like, ATM isn't around regularly. So, nope. I, I think, like, yeah, and I really enjoyed him when he wrestled as Yohei Nakajima. He needs and better he gear, won, though. Like, and the few times he has gone, like, serious as Black Mansuray as well, I've enjoyed him as well. So, I think he would really fit well within the, like, current style of the junior division. So, I think that's a really good idea. And then, next up, we have a, a junior Battle of Glory 2022 special tag match. Uh, it is uh, Aski Aoyagi and Hokuto Omori versus Rising Hayato and Ryo Inoue. I guess I could see them starting a new storyline with Hokuto in this match, or maybe that waits till the new year. But either Hokuto or Inoue is taking the fall here, I think. Yeah, I think this might be like the time to like start kind of the rebuild for Hokuto Omori. So I could very easily see him get a win, like get his win back over Inoue here, especially because they have been building that up for so much. And I feel like there is a point that they've actually named this a Junior Battle of Glory special tag match and just haven't like said this is like a tag match in general. So I feel like that probably has some sort of like significance. Yeah. And then uh, I think I'm really looking forward to this one. Singles match, Shuji Ishikawa versus Yuma Anzai. I think this will be great. Ishikawa will give him a lot. I don't think they're going to do a shock win like beating a former Triple Crown champion in a singles match in Shinkiba first ring. But I am really looking forward to it. I mean, that was actually going to be my question. Like, do you think he has a chance? Because I don't think his chances are 0%. Like with any other rookie, I would say he has a 0% chance of winning this match. But I think I he has. Don't if this think is like so. A, 
If this is a 15-minute time limit match, maybe they just go with the time limit. I could see them do that, but I mean, it's also like for me, like based on the fact that they're just like the Truji Ishikawa doesn't really seem to have kind of any interest in getting pushed anymore. So, I mean, I would maybe save it, yeah, for something bigger than just like Shin Kiba for than just a random Shin Kiba first ring show. But it would obviously be a shock if he wins this. But I don't think it's unreasonable to think that, like, I would actually give him like, I don't know, like a 10, 12% chance of winning this match which feels insanely high for someone that has only been wrestling for, for like a couple of months. That's true. I think that's a reasonable, uh, those are reasonable odds for an Anzai victory. And then uh, this is almost certainly going to be the main event, even though the actual match order hasn't been announced. Special tag match featuring Kento Miyahara, Jake Lee, Yuma Aoyagi, and Naoyo Nomura. But the thing is, the combination of the teams will be announced on a special lottery that day. But Paul, this is pro wrestling, so I have a very strong feeling that they already know what the combination of the teams are going to be, and I think it's going to be Yuma and Naoya versus Kento and Jake. What do you think of that? Yeah, absolutely. I think definitely we're going to like see like Kento and Jake team here, unless they want to like have Kento pin Jake one last time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could see that happen. But I think otherwise, I, I feel Jake. like Kento and Jake teaming like one last time. I feel like because I've, I don't even know how many people remember that like Kento and Jake used to be like a tag team when they were coming up. Like they were the original like nucleus of of um, of Next Stream. So I feel like putting them together like one last time. I think it's like a nice thing for like Jake on his way out. Well, Paul, it's it's funny you bring up them as the. Uh, the original nucleus of next stream, uh, because if you'll forgive me a minute for using this term, but this is really leaning into a lot of all Japan lore featuring two guys, one that's leaving the company and one that's left the company already. Oh, you think, so, so do you think we're going to get a curtain call situation here where all four guys will just hug it out afterwards? Well, that's very possible, but it just seems interesting that they're still leaning into the lore when they've lost 50% of the guys in the match. Yeah, although they're very clearly trying to bring back like one well, of the guys that has left. That's but. what that's what I'm gonna say. Like, what do you like? And he's on every show in January. So what what are your odds that Naoyo Nomura is coming out in a tracksuit on January second at the beginning of the show? So I am kind of cautious to make predictions for that because I will fully admit that I cannot be emotionally like I cannot look at this issue like from like a very like emotion free like stance basically like like there is just like that part of me that just really desperately wants him to come back because i think that's such a good story that's such a feel-good story after everything that's happened and it's just a thing that makes sense to me for like both sides so i would really but then in terms of like how much would I actually think that will happen, I will say that I would probably say it's about 50-50 because it's very obvious that all Japan wants it to happen. I think it just really depends whether or not Noya wants to come back full time. And if he doesn't, like even if he's just there as a regular but not as like a contractor guy, like I think that's already great. Like, like again, it is just depends if he wants to do that full time all Japan schedule again. So, and that if he does, then I will fully expect 
that he is going to like come out there in on January in the tracksuit and he has resigned. I was going to say that all Japan full time schedule these days isn't exactly very onerous. Um, <laughs> I mean, so. it is not, but it's still like different to like come like touring to like all the like random small towns that all Japan still runs rather than just, you know, common for like the big shows that they do in Tokyo and then otherwise go to your like. Uh, like fake MMA basement and do some shoot style there. Well, you know, Yuma has vowed to uh, pull Naoya out of that basement. So, I mean, that could be part of it. Because the next day, or on the 26th after the Christmas show, Yuma, well, and also uh, Rio in a way, they're going to capture for their show. And Yuma and Jake are teaming. So, I don't know. All I'll say is Yeah, if- I, I really hope that, like, he comes back because... It it just would be like such a waste of his talents to just be a part timer. Uh, also, add that if Neo comes out in that tracksuit on January second, I'm going to cry. Um, oh, absolutely! And then it just really like then it actually becomes more interesting who actually should be the next Triple Crown champion because to me it's right now it is obviously Yuma Aoyagi out of everyone on that roster. But if Neoya comes back, then that becomes a bit more of like a really interesting question who you actually put that title on first if naoya comes back i think you you still have to go with yuma because yuma has been loyal and i'm worried about him in the long term uh honestly i'll talk about more about that later but like i hope they have told yuma and given him a date that he's getting that title like because like you know uh, i said this in the, my column i wrote about jake lee leaving I don't begrudge Yuma if he leaves in 2024 because he hasn't won the Triple Crown yet at all. Also, I think it's just a smart business move. You got to make him the guy. Um, and I, well, at this point, Yuma has blown past Naoya in the charisma department. That's also, a, I think, a major factor. I think you can kind of like determine it as well, like based because it is a Shinkiba show, so they're going to have cheering. I think you can kind of base that as well on like what the actual like, crowd reactions to this are going to be. Because just based on Yuma's, the reactions Yuma has gotten here in the past, like I think they would be just incredibly stupid not to put it on him. I'm just curious because they won't probably want like to give Noya something to like lure him back, and I wonder if like a promise of like a triple crown one in 2023 is a part of that deal if they bring him back. They could even win the champion carnival and then Yuma win the triple crown a little later. Yeah, you could. Probably do something like that, but and also, I, but I again, think, like having both, having both, and being able to keep both is going to like just be a massive boon to the promotion overall. Absolutely. Um, so that I think is going to be very emotional and very important match, or could be a very important match in the future of all Japan. So we then move over to uh, December twenty fifth, Chris Xmas Mania X at Corken Hall. Um, we have Shuji Ishikawa, Chihiro Hashimoto, and Yu versus uh, Suwama, um, Mayumi Ozaki, and Maya Yukihi, which ha- was already announced. It was the first uh, match on the show announced. Paul, did you see the team name that Shuji and uh, two- Team 200 KG have come up with? Uh, no, I haven't seen that team name yet. It's uh, Team 333 Kilograms. So, wait, so you will, so 303 kilograms, so you're willing to tell me that Shuji Ishikawa only weighs 103 kilograms. No, sorry, Unless, like, one of the other two has 333. Hmm? Three, sorry? Three, 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 
Oh, 333. Okay, yeah, that make that I think it's very reasonable. I think <laughs> Shuji Ishikawa going down to 100 kilogram was never realistic. So I think going with like the only other version you can do there, which is 333, I think that works really well. But did and you see the angle actually that they or the video package that they showed on yes, the finals night so between Suwama and 200 kilogram? It was so good because it's funny because Sunday Girls had the show the same day in that Osaka show at Eddie on number two. Um, so that's why they were all able to film that there. Yeah, I also found it funny when they had like the Sendai girls trainees try to stop Subama <laughs> and just, he's like, just like, like legitimately just towering over all of them. Yes, it was just so, so dumb, <laughs> but it was so funny at the same time. And then and also like Subama's like amazing divorce dad dressing style as well, especially now as a voodoo murderer. Absolutely. Uh, did you see the shirt he was wearing at like the press conference? It, it like I really wonder like I'm really curious where he actually goes and like buys the stuff because he like we've talked about that he has divorced the dad energy but like as far as I know he's not actually divorced like I think he's actually happily married no I know well I mean it's just trying to be he's just trying to play up being like a sleazy heel but you know anyway uh so next up we have um this was originally announced as Takao Mori versus X but we just found out who X was and no it's not Satoshi Kojima it's Manabu Soya and Get Wild Explodes. Uh, I think this will be a good match, uh, although I think it's somewhat ominous at the same time. Paul, what do you think? I've, I'm looking forward to it, but yeah, it is kind of a very curious decision that it is Manab- Manabu Soya. I mean, I would probably say that if Soya is actually coming back, like if this is in any way like an indication, maybe that Soya might be coming back to all Japan. I feel that that's probably like a net positive for him because he obviously was just like the lowest heavyweight in Congo who was just taking like falls left and right. Oh, I don't think Soy is coming back to All Japan. I think he's going to make appearances in All Japan, um, you know. Uh, but I think that I'll just say it like if I don't want All Japan going any closer with Noah at this time with what's going on over there, uh, I think... I mean, obviously, working with New Japan has its own pitfalls, but I think they're better off just working with New Japan. Paul, what's like? how do you feel about that? I also feel like you can't really work with both of them right now because there is just kind of like increasing kind of like competition between the two. Like, no one in New Japan is still somewhat like... Like, they aren't really like an all-out an, an like open war with each other right now. Although, like, given some of the things that like joe wrote about on the patreon well that might be something that might be more likely in the future depending on certain things but like i think i really feel like we're getting close to like a stage where you probably will have to pick like if you're going to work with cyberfight or if you're going to work with bushy road well i mean they still have a talent exchange is right like there's going to be new japan talent on that Muto retirement show and some of the other ones but it was always going to be a collision course given the money that's, you know, cyber fight get is investing in all of this. You know, they, they, you know, you couldn't keep them from falling apart forever. And when, um, I guess Noah and new Japan first sort of got back together as it were, obviously like things were a lot shakier just business wise for both companies. And, um, you know, new Japan has improved, and obviously, Bushi Road wants to keep them and Stardom the market leaders in Japan. So it's just an inev- inevitable collision course. 
Yeah. So like given that like people like Nosawa and Karshan are popping up on all Japan shows at the same time as Yuji Nagata, I don't know that that makes like all Japan like an interesting battleground promotion in a way at the moment. Yeah, but I mean, there's also problems. I think like with Noah is like, like who's going to come into All Japan, or who's going to come from All Japan to go to Noah? Uh, I I don't see Kaido coming. Obviously, Nakajima is a complete no go coming into All Japan, and probably can't. Probably Kento's not going to come into Noah. I just it's just so limiting. Like, is is Kento going to come in and how were we getting Voodoo Murders versus Congo Paul? Yeah, I mean. I really feel like there isn't really much to gain for like all Japan with working really kind of either of them at the moment. I mean, I have like in a tag team sense, I've enjoyed Yuji Nagata a lot more, but it's also not like that's like an amazing get either. And then what might have happened is that they might have like poached Jake from them. So like from that perspective, if I'm all Japan, I would be a bit more hesitant to work with like all Japan going forward, especially given that. You are developing some younger guys right now. You're also like developing some younger Japanese guys, which especially is something that new Japan needs. So, well, yeah, but but again, also, no one also needs at the same Nagata time as with... well. So, I'm like, if I'm all Japan, I'm very like cautious to get like too much into bed with either promotion right now. Well, they've they've also put Nagata with their super rookie, you know, uh, which seems like a dangerous move. Uh, but I don't know. I just think, okay, fine. They don't make a stink about Jake leaving and you get Nagata and some other talent on big shows. I just think it, I don't know. I just think it fits better together, those two companies, than All Japan with Noah at this time. Yeah, I also think they fit better style-wise as well. Like, I don't think, like, yeah. the Noah style really fits all that well with the All Japan guys. No, but uh, I will say, look, if we're going to do Noah in All Japan... Can we get Kento versus Hideki? Can we? I mean, I'm really in favor of that one. Like, I, I feel like like if you're gonna get anyone, that's one to get. But like, is Hideki even signed to Noah? I or don't isn't know. Isn't he like technically still a freelancer? Probably, but they, there's a lot of freelancers in Noah. I think actually. Um, yeah, true, and maybe there might be some that might be like joining like sometime next year as well. Yeah. Uh, oh. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Um, so next up, Yoshitatsu versus Naoya Nomura, another, uh, another body sacrificed at the altar of getting Naoya back into the company. Unless he has already told them to fuck off and which if like, here's the thing, okay. If Yoshitatsu wins this, which I fully do not expect, no. like even if Naoya hasn't signed, I don't expect Yoshitatsu to win. No. But if on the off chance Yoshitatsu wins this match, I think that's a 100% guarantee that Noya told them that he's not going to resign. Yes, that is an absolute uh, guarantee. Um, so next up, we have a match called the Carbell Cup Scramble Singles Match. Now I'm wondering if there's some sort of Carbell-sponsored tournament coming up. And we have Rising Hayato versus Kaz Hayashi. And I'm really looking forward to this. I want to see how Kaz works with Hayato. And the one thing that really bothers me is like, why are you calling this a scramble if it's a singles match? That it's not what a scramble is. Well, <laughs> really, maybe it has like, a different know, connotation in Japan or ja- or Japanese in the translation. But yes, yeah, you think probably. of like a GCW opening match or something. Yeah. So I'm really curious then what what the Carbal Cup is actually going to be. I mean, given who is 
in this match? Like, is it going to be another junior tournament? Which would be weird because he just did a junior tournament. I don't know. Like, but obviously, we don't know anything about this. So you could far. do a junior tag tournament, I suppose. Um, I mean, maybe yeah, you just rename the junior tag battle of glory to like the Carbel Cup and like give have Carbel give you some money for that. I think that's. I'm actually like I'm actually found it weird that I haven't really been more like wrestling promotions that have just like basically sold off like tournament names to like sponsors i know that they do that kind of for like the g1 where it's the g1 presented by axe basically but i'm curious that no one has ever actually like just straight up just sold up like the name of the tournament and just like just make a little bit more money because it's not like especially for like lower level like I don't know anyone will get angry if it's like no longer like the junior battle of glory, the junior tag battle of glory, but instead it's like the Carbel Cup. I don't think anyone would really care. And you make some money doing that. Uh, local uh, produce market sponsors real world tag league. I mean, did you see uh, the quotes from uh, uh, Hideki uh, Sekin track? No, he's getting not. married and he actually wants to be both a wrestler and a farmer like he wants to like produce his own like brand of like produce basically so like basically you could just make him like the new like produce based wrestler and like have him come in whenever they like go back to Savama's hometown to that market <laughs> right uh produce is taking over uh it used to be rice now it's produce um and then next up we have a special eight-man tag match uh, Ryuki Honda, Yusuke Kodama, uh, Masao Hanabata, and uh, the returning Minoru Tanaka, I guess subbing in for Shitaro Ishino, but he has beef with these guys. Uh, Jun Saito, uh, Saito, Rei Saito, Taru, and Toshizo, who has finally returned. Uh, he's, he wasn't around for the Real World Tag League or Junior Battle of Glory. Uh, Six-man tag team match. Now, this one's Tajiri's last match in all Japan. Um, uh, so it'll be Tajiri, Black, Mensuray, and Toru Yano versus Hiro, uh, Yuji Nagata, Dan Tamara, and Hikaru Sato. Um, not exactly the best use of all the talent in this available here. No, not really. But I mean, it's incredibly obvious who's taking the pin here. So whatever. Yeah. And then uh, another match I think we'll be looking forward to. Uh, Hokuto Omori, uh, Ryo Inoue, and Yuma Enzai versus Yuto Nakajima, Nakashima, uh, Raihoe Oiwa, and Kosei Fujita. Uh, Paul, I could also see Hokuto finally getting his win here. I mean, he's definitely the most likely person to get a win here. Uh, so I, c- I could actually also see Yuma Enzai get the pin here as well, but I think like this might be another one. Does New like, Japan let one of the let Anzai pin one of their young lions? I don't know. Probably not, but yeah, I, I I would say that Hokuto is like the most likely one to get the win here. But I'm actually looking forward to this match, just like based on like the last time like the New Japan like young lions came into all Japan. That match really like over delivered. So I kind of expect this one to over deliver as well. Absolutely, it'll be heated. It'll be awesome, and then. Uh, what I probably would assume would be the last uh, main event because uh, someone's a certain someone's last match in the company, Kento Miyahara, Atsuki Aoyagi, Taichi, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru versus Jake Lee, Yuma Aoyagi, uh, Sonata, and Bushi. Um, 
strange. Uh, Jake Lee is facing off against people that are uh, that some are speculating are going to be his future stablemates. Hey, are you a believer in Jake Gun? Uh, no, but it'll probably be like Taichi Gun or Zach Gun, and then Jake will be like along for the ride. I mean, I don't know how likely that is, but it seems like something they've planted. I don't know. I mean, we don't actually technically know if he's actually going to New Japan. You know. Yeah, we just we just all assume that he's going to New there's Japan. There's an X. There's an X because on it's that the most Noah likely show. one. Yeah, uh, it would make the most sense for him to get up and leave. Over, to be honest. I mean, um, maybe they're also just gonna make him like you know, like the fifth guy or whatever, or like how many members are there now in Lij? Like whatever, he's just gonna be maybe like the newest guy in Lij. He doesn't have enough. And if he just teams of Sonata, well, you could say Sonata, but I mean, Sonata has a certain kind of charisma that. His stoicism is more charismatic than Jake's stoicism, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Like for now, that is obviously like fully like. For now, that is still like no one really knows for sure that he's coming in. It's just that it seems like the most likely version, but I don't think it's like a like I don't think he has like actually like signed a contract or anything like that yet. No, um, and then so really quick in the January January second, Hikaru uh, Sato versus Askeo Yagi. PWF Junior title, uh, Suwama and Kono versus Kento Miyahara and Takuya Nomura for the World Tag Team titles. The New Year's Battle Royal featuring Masanabu Fuchi. Then you've got Minoru Suzuki, Kaz Hayashi, Mitsuya Nagai, Naoya Nomura. As the announced outsiders, uh, January 3rd, uh, the uh, Takao Mori and Masao Inoue versus Masawa Rongai and Kendo Kashin. Paul, what are the chance? Like, what 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 are the chances you put Nosawa and Kendo Kashin winning? Um, let me see. I don't have a coin on me right now. Otherwise, I would just flip it and determine it based on that way. Because I think that's really it. Like, at this point, it's just, like, basically just flip a coin and you have, like, an equal chance to, like, win, essentially. Uh, well, I mean, Nosawa is retiring. I mean, allegedly retiring. So, uh, I will say that Omori and Inoue retain because, you know, it's not like... Nosawa has a problem putting anyone over or anything like that. He'd probably do the job to Omori. Um, and then Kento Miyahara versus Takuya Nomura for the Triple Crown. Yuji Nagata will be on this show. He's not on the second. And then you've got Suzuki Nagai and Naoya Nomura again uh, on January 15th at 2AW Square. Uh, this one looks a lot of fun. Black Mensa Ray and Kaiji Tamato versus uh, Oji Shiba and Takoro Nikki. Um, and then uh, on uh, also um, January 11th, uh, you've got Yoshitatsu and Oji Shiba versus Dan Tamer and Hakaru Sato. So Shiba working a few matches in January. And then you have Takao Mori versus Masao Inoue. I don't know if that gives anything away. Uh, and then uh, singles match, Black Mensa Ray versus Black Tiger. Now, I was wondering if this was Black Tiger 7. No, Paul, it's the Black Tiger we got back in September, in October. Or that's like August. the one time I would have preferred to see Nosawa in a singles match. That Black Tiger was just the absolute shits. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, and also, uh, February 4th announced um, Atsushi Onida during the February tour uh, in a show that in a venue I don't think they've ever run before, but it's way, way on the western edge of Tokyo in uh, Hachioji, uh, which is like not in the special wards. Um, and then finally, Paul, Kotaro Suzuki's coming back. And he's going to be on a couple shows in January. Um, 
which is interesting because I thought he was DDT bound and he probably still is because I think he's been announced to a DDT show. But you've got to do Atsuki versus Kataro, right? Like that's what this is building to. Yeah, I think like very easily, like just bring in another like established veteran and just like feed him to Atsuki. I think it's like the way to go here to like, as, like that way you also keep like other challengers fresh as well. And there's really like nothing like Kotaro loses here. And I think Atsuki just like gains a lot by beating Kotaro. I mean, I'm not sure it'll be as spectacular as Hayato versus Atsuki, but I think it will be the best, most well-rounded match that Atsuki's had in his reign. Yeah, I think like Atsuki also like he is already really good, but he's still young. So I think he can learn a lot from working with someone like as good as Kotaro as well. So it can only help him. All right. So that is all of the upcoming shows in for All Japan. Paul, it's time. Do you know what time it is? Veda time? Uh, not quite. Um, it's time to talk about Jake. Paul, what are your thoughts? Let me just reminisce about like all of the like great memories we've made with Jake along the way. Just, you know. Him starting out as such a like hopeful young boy in the promotion, getting his first push for next stream, getting horrifically injured, coming back, getting his first push towards the main event, failing horribly, getting pushed back down, winning a tag title, getting horrifically injured, coming back, being pushed to the main event again, failing horribly, turning heel, getting a triple crown, having a okay reign, getting injured. <laughs> coming back, winning the title, getting geeked out, getting geeked out even more, losing in the tag league, and then leaving the promotion. What a fucking weird run this was overall. Uh, Yes. And, I mean, you might have even sounded more negative on him than I am. Uh, But I think, you know, um, look, I just can't... I know that some people really feel very passionately and are upset about this, and I just can't be like for them like this is what Naoya Nomura was for me that Jake is to them like you know I was completely gutted when Naoya left not to mention I had to go like almost two years with like no medical updates being like Sky ever gonna wrestle again that was very uh you know upsetting to me as a fan um I mean there were moments like and I and I've written this many times there were always those moments where I thought Jake was on the cusp of finally putting it all together, including as, you know, a heel in total eclipse. I really liked that match back in June between Kento and uh, Jake, where Jake finally beat Kento in a triple crown match. I thought that was their best match since before the pandemic, probably like, oh yeah, the January 2020 match. I defended Jake in like 2016 and 2017 where people thought he was not good in the ring. I thought he was, you know, not top tier, but he was on the direction to be. He's had some of the best matches in all Japan in the last, since like 2017. Yeah, it's a five years. He's had some of the best matches both in tags and in singles matches, especially those ones against Kento. I'm struggling to think of a great Jake singles match, like a truly great Jake singles match that's not against Kento. Um and I can't really think of one. Thought his when he like that triple crown match against uh, Suwama were, you know, and th- did a horrible number in Korokin, even well below what the pandemic restrictions were at the time. 
didn't thought that was okay. And like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, just uh, like he clearly does have his fans in Japan. There's no question about that. But I mean, even if he is the number two most popular wrestler in that company, the the Aoyagi brothers, at least Yuma, are like on the cusp of surpassing him or already have. Um, just judging by some of the few crowd reactions we've gotten recently. Um, I think I it's did very win. easy to say that like the Aoyagis have like eclipsed them. Probably both, like definitely Yuma, maybe even both of them. I think you can also see that just based on like the amount of merch that they're getting as well and like the amount of like stuff they're getting like put in by like all Japan, like things that like Jake was never really like, like I, I, like I feel like there's more like institutional support already for the Aoyagis than there ever really was for Jake. Jake always felt like a guy that they were pushing because they didn't really have anyone else to push. Well, so they pushed yes, him instead. Yes and no, because I think, yes, there's, I mean, I mean, back when Jake was getting pushed, the roster is even technically thinner than it, it was, it is today. There was definitely less young talent. I think, I think you always had to give Jake a push to the top and try it out. Like, I don't think they were wrong to ever do it. Um, because, I mean, he could deliver match quality wise, even if he, he, wasn't able to clearly get on quite to Kento's level uh, popularity wise, you know, so I don't, I don't think pushing Jake was a mistake. It's just that he never, you know, like, here's the thing. You can point to a lot of bad luck. You can point to Suwama getting COVID. So you had that convoluted match where Jake finally won the triple crown. You can point to the fact that he obviously gets the push during the pandemic and all of these other things. Like you talked about, he blew out his knee uh, just on the cusp. Wasn't it him and Nao had just won the world tag titles for the first time together? And then he blew out his knee? Yep. I think, Basically, yeah. that's what happened. Like, they finally... Because that really felt like they were... That was really, like, when felt the promotion was getting behind both of them and really starting to give them a serious push. And then he just immediately, like, that whole title reign got derailed and when he blew out his knee and then when he came back they kind of like changed course on that as well but i think yep. then he like left next dream and kind of like started going down his own path and i think even naoya was sort of spinning his wheels for a bit after that tag team had to end so yeah i mean that was some missed opportunities i guess for both men although um felt like you know they were you know, I mean, everyone thought Nomura was going to win that 2020 champion carnival and everything like that. So they were pushing them at the same time. Like, right. Like, let's not forget, like um, uh, Jake and Kento both had two triple crown matches in 2019. But so Noyoya and Kento also had two incredible uh, triple crown matches in 2019. Uh, I I know, like, you could say that they sort of positioned Jake as the top rival to Kento, even more so than Nomura. But, I mean, by 2020, like, even right before the pandemic, to me, like, Yuma had made so many strides that I was like, this guy's going to surpass Jake in in a very short amount of time, and he did. I just, I thought as just a character, the charisma, and the, I suppose, yeah, in the in-ring work, too. I, though I think Jake arrived at a higher level of in-ring work uh, definitely a lot sooner than Yuma, but once you 
got into 2020, like Yuma was was catching up fast. Um, my point is, this isn't a disaster. Jake did all he could achieve in all Japan, and it just I don't know. Like I understand why some people are going to feel like there's a void in there. Like I said, that's how I felt. I felt like when Nomura left, or sorry, Nomura got injured, and in, you know I'd heard he had herniated cervical discs and that's a serious injury so i knew he was going to be out for a while though and didn't realize he was going to be out for as long as he was so i get it but i just i don't know paul like i just i don't i can't feel anything like sadness about this at all like i guess it'd be technically better if he stayed but even then it's questionable because like what do you do with him yeah right? no, you got to make you all japan is doomed doomed no it's like like just like noah isn't doomed all japan isn't doomed either uh it is obviously a loss to lose jake but i don't feel like like he was i don't think he was a complete failure as a draw but i don't think he ever was like a great draw or anything okay like so that. It, i so here's i should add i've never called jake's title reign a bomb i called it lackluster now, there is definitely some bomb elements. Like I said, that Suwama triple crown match in Korokin after the Royal Road Tournament. Horrible number. Less than 500 people. And like the capacity then, I think, was 700. That's not good. That's big Japan level almost. Now, he did well in those Oda Ward shows against Kento. But again, that's Kento. And if Jake's going to be a truly top guy, he needs to draw against other people other than Kento. So that's why, you know. I don't think it was a total disaster, but definitely, I don't know, just the signs were there. Is, could Jake be his own man without Kento? And mm, I wasn't convinced that he could be. Like he always yeah, I feel had like that's Kento. actually, ultimately, that is really Jake's biggest downfall. It's the fact that he has great chemistry with Kento, but not necessarily really anyone else. And that he just, like everything he does only ever really works when it is in relation to Kento Miyahara. I think the biggest indictment of that is if you just look at like the just like graveyard of just failed Jake Lee stables, like like especially like stables that started off really hot. Like if you look at like back when Sweeper formed, that was really hot for a while and then just fizzled out. Like the same thing when like Jin like started and that was well, yeah. really hot and then it fizzled out. Like especially well, that one I'm angry about because I like I love literally everyone. I loved everyone in that stable. Like. You just look at that one like that is just like that is a Paul Felt stable like that's Koji Iwamoto, Naoya Nomura, Ayato Yoshida, Fuminori Abe and Jake Lee. I was like and when that like I think that was kind of like when that fizzled out really was like the moment when I kind of like turned on Jake Lee was like if he can't make this stable work with this like amount of talent then I feel like he just isn't like a guy that is like at the top of the promotion like he's probably better as like a gatekeeper, which I feel like all Japan was going to like put him in if he wasn't leaving. Right. Although to be fair to Jin, you had Nomura's injury and the pandemic and they, that did lead to a really great Lee and Iwamoto all Asia tag title run though. Uh, no. Yeah. That, that was really fun. And then it led obviously like into like Jake turning on Iwamoto and then forming total eclipse. But again, total eclipse, another example of like a stable that like started off really hot and then literally just fizzled out. Everybody loved, like, I, I still remember the reaction, like, just chatting with people in, like, Slack, and they were, like, all shocked, and they're like, wow, that was an awesome angle and everything like that, and and it felt 
hot and Jake completely transformed his look, which is funny because <laughs> now we know why Jake didn't bother changing his tights after Total Eclipse disbanded. Yeah, because um, he wasn't, he wants to like f- flip them out for like his ever, like whatever, like Taiji Gun or like LIJ tights or whatever he's going to like be wearing going forward. Maybe he, maybe he's going to be like the house of torture hunter, Jake Lee. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know. I guess those are our feelings on Jake. Um, I guess, you know, I guess to us, I, Paul, I don't want to speak for you, but like Naoya was always the guy and he was always the guy to me in like 2017, 2018. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like the moment, like Naoya started to break through to me, Jake was like completely like on the back burner essentially. And I also feel like that was the idea of the promotion as well. And then obviously Naoya gets hurt and they're kind of like, well, I guess we have to go with Jake now because I feel like Jake was always going to turn. Like maybe he was going to get the triple crown run as well. But like, I feel like or the original plan was probably for Jake to turn on Naoya and not Koji Iwamoto. It's it's funny, though, that Naoya also turned out to be a better heel than Jake. <laughs> yeah, but that is also very funny. Yeah. So... Uh, no, like to me, like if if what happens here is Jake Lee leaves and we get Noya Nomura back, then I think that is actually a net positive for the promotion. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree with you on that. So, Paul, let's assume it's New Japan because I don't see Noah and I don't even know what the hell he would do there. Um, but I could see him in a role in, in New Japan. They're going to repackage him. He's going to look different. Maybe they'll give him a new haircut and obviously new gear. Um, without even getting into a debate, and I think Suzuki Gun would be most likely. I've seen everyone say everything from LIJ, which I actually think is like the least likely, to Bullet Club in general, to House of Torture. But Paul, what's he going to do? I don't think he gets any higher than Sonata is now. I think Sonata level is an absolute best case scenario for him. I don't see him get higher than that. Like all Japan, re- all Japan, <laughs> New Japan recently has been a bit more willing to push guys that aren't like people that come from the dojo. But just historically speaking, there is just a limit to people that aren't like New Japan trainees, like how much they can achieve within the promotion. But I also feel like the two people that have actually like broken through that glass ceiling are two people that had already shown like outstanding like things at their previous promotions. So I'm talking about Ibushi and uh, and Shingo. Like both of them were like bona fide draws and like DDT and Dragon Gate respectively. And I don't think like Jake is even close to the level of like like established star or like draw that either man was in their previous promotion. So, like, to me, Sonata level is, like, the absolute maximum ceiling for him. Like, I would, pro- like, I think that's also, like, if everything goes right, like, he gets over with the crowd and everything, then I think he has a chance to get Sonata level. To me, he's probably more, like, even below that, like, regardless of, like, where he ends up. I mean, how does he even get over? Like, I I don't know. I mean, you cannot, like, obviously, New Japan has a certain ability. They have, like the resources to make people into stars or at least enhance their characters. But I, I just, I don't know. Like I'm sort of curious to see what Jake looks like because I don't, I don't know. I'm just so used to this. Well, 
the the several different versions of Jake, I suppose, that we've had in all Japan. Like it would take I know, I still think it's the like the new Japan star machine is not enough to take Jake to that next level. It wasn't for Sonata. Um you know, and I think that's probably the best comp to Jake. Yeah, no, I think Sonata is the best comp. Like, and as I said, like the, even the Bushi Road Machine, which just like I mean, just look at what they did to like Stardom and like a year and a half, and it just completely just just massively transformed the entire promotion to let us be like really kind of a bit of a juggernaut now. Whereas they brought in Sonata and they did try and push Sonata, like because. They they did try and make Sonata and it just didn't really work, and I just don't see that like I don't because we've seen pretty much everything of Jake I think that we like that we can see like I don't think there's any kind of like hidden potential in Jake that he just hasn't brought out yet. So even if you just like improve his like presentation and everything with like all of the money that Bushi Rota has, like it's gonna help him, but I don't think it's gonna like uncover some like hidden side of jake that wasn't before seen that is like gonna push him to a level where he can like is like a realistic like challenger for like someone like kazuchika okada like i don't feel like he can even get close to that level at all no i i guess i will give jake credit i think he has the potential to work hard so i think he will be working very hard when it gets when he debuts if it is into new japan so i will be curious to watch that i'm gonna watch it because like i really like this is like one of the most interesting jumps just in terms of like how we conceive of him and how i don't know other because you know not everyone a lot of people don't watch all japan right and so i just i I'm generally curious about what some of the reactions to this guy is gonna are gonna be. Yeah, and I, I am also curious because we talked about it earlier. Like, we're really like all of his great matches were with Kento, and obviously the New Japan roster is pretty talent rich. So if he has any potential to have a great match with someone other than Kento, then the New Japan roster is like the perfect spot to do that. And if he can't do it there, then he can literally do it nowhere. I think he he could probably have a pretty damn good match with Okada, I think, and Tanahashi. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, probably Osprey because Osprey can do it with anyone. Uh, I bet you with Shingo. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely people there that can have great matches with him. I think so. Maybe you know, um, I can. You can never say never in professional wrestling, especially when a wrestler changes um, their uh, environment. Because that's definitely happened to wrestlers that have totally exceeded expectations when they when they've gotten a change of scenery. But I don't know. I've just seen enough of Jake over these years that you know. I just I don't know. Maybe we'll be all egg on our faces in a year's time. But you know, I this is you know everyone knows how we feel about him. Like I just I don't know what else to say about Jake. And do you have anything else to say about Jake at this point? Because I do not. Yeah, I, I just think that it's good for him to just get some fresh air basically like i think it was desperately needed for him because there was nothing else there was nothing left for him to do yeah definitely and i guess we have two other departures that we uh, will touch on uh i let's start with izanagi because i have more to say about tajiri i think paul i'm actually surprised he hasn't left yet but the reason he's left is hilarious 
I mean, I actually, when, when I saw him being announced that he's leaving, I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That doesn't surprise him at all. Like, I actually fully expected him to leave, like, at the end of the year, either way, to, like, go full-time with Osaka Pro. But the reason that Joe wrote about, like, why he actually left is that is objectively hilarious, that that's the reason. Like, that's the camel that broke the straw's back. Oh, that's the straw, uh, whatever, like, you know what I mean. Like, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, is that guy. Okay. Like, do we want to talk about it, or do, you, well, do we want to get people to go to the Patreon? Well, we sh- yeah, we shouldn't uh, give away uh, someone's Patreon, but uh, I will say that this is why it just augurs very badly for working with Noah, right? Yeah. This yeah. has already I happened. Mean, I mean, to be fair, it's not like Izanagi is a big loss, but that is still, like, that, that's such an immediate reaction to that specific person is very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um and I think you can all figure out who that is. It's very obvious. Um, and so to Jiri, um, I guess, well, Izanagi, yes, not a loss because he's definitely been downgraded in the comedy role with Black Vance Ray in the opening matches. But a very solid hand has a win over Kento Miyahara, has scored, you know, plenty of upsets. How was like that team with Zeus? He was like a mid-card fucking workhorse man holding that thing together at times. Like, you know, I mean, he is really deserves i think you know respect as that veteran and i will miss him i will definitely miss him um tajiri is interesting because god knows this man has driven me crazy but in some ways i think that there could be some long-term negative implications from him leaving mainly that he was the dojo trainer the head dojo trainer and he's pretty damn good at it given the talent that they've debuted over the last few years yeah i think that's probably like the biggest negative fallout here uh, also especially since he was like trying to like get people to leave with him as well I mean he's failed so far but it is curious like who of the people that he trained he might still have like an in with and if he just tried like when he was leaving and he's like now he's just done trying with that or if that might be something that he like might like head up people in like a couple of months maybe if their booking isn't really satisfactory like if they might be willing to listen to him then so i think that might be a story that we haven't really seen the conclusion of yet although obviously tajiri might also not be around in japan all that much because he seems to be like living in malaysia now but again that might not be forever either so like the malaysia thing i'll say this if Tajiri is going to Malaysia full time to train wrestlers there, that's a huge boon to the Malaysian wrestling scene. Yeah, have that is, that is an absolutely massive improvement. That's probably like the best guy they've had trained people there, like probably ever. Because I don't really know of anyone else that like was like training people in Malaysia. Um, Paul, have you ever watched any Malaysian pro wrestling? I think I've seen like one or two matches, but I, like I always remember like there was like really like solid stuff, but nothing like blow away really well i mean i've watched a bit of that like apac company who have money behind them because the production values are pretty decent and they're like sh- they're bigger shows because they just had a show that tajiri was on and they brought in maki ito and uh, uh yuki kamafuku and they brought in steph delander um the former persia parada um and like the wrestlers there obviously like are clearly like 
you know, the training has its, you know, limitations and everything. And I would say that a lot of the characters are clearly WWE influenced. But I mean, there's absolutely like wrestlers that show potential there. And someone like Tajiri, I think, could really, really, really improve things for them. Yeah, it is definitely a massive positive for the scene. I think to have someone like Tajiri, to have some of like Tajiri's like connections as well and just like experience level i think can only like massively benefit the scene and and i guess we'll circle back quickly to the thing you're thinking about like him trying to convince others to go with him who would go with tajiri unless tajiri says i'm going to get you into noah or i'm going to get you into new japan or whatever that just seems crazy to go along with him without some great landing spot doesn't i mean there's that one thing i'm scared of when it comes to tajiri and that is just the fact that he has a history with WWE and because they have recently started talking again about making all of these like affiliates all around the world. So if like WWE Japan is like back on the menu, essentially, like if that is something they are actually actively considering, then having someone like Tajiri, like it probably makes like the most sense for them to like bring in. And then he actually would have like a valuable like landing spot for people, or at least a landing spot. Maybe not one that, that probably might get like big audiences, but definitely a landing spot that can offer a lot of money to talent. Paul, did you see that William Regal is going to become a VP in WWE? Yeah, like I saw that he becomes a VP, but I didn't really see like what exact position. But that's another friend of Tajiri's in a high spot. Yeah, so. Yeah, I. that is the only thing that I'm worried about because he has all those connections to all Japan and to especially like the young talent there. And if he gets like into the ear, like I think it's really like up to like all Japan to like push these guys properly now uh, so that they don't get any ideas about maybe like listening to like whatever like sweet honey like Tijiri is like whispering into their ears. Yeah, uh, I would say at this point, because there's the like the obviously it's abundantly clear that the vast majority of the industry just wants to give uh, WWE the uh, cold shoulder about any expansion. But if anyone was going to jump in bed with them, it would be Tajiri. So, I mean, that's <laughs> could be very scary. I mean, uh, it makes God... it even weirder that they actually keep around someone like Yoshitatsu because yes. like he also is like a former WWE guys and, like those generally tend to be like the only people in Japan that give a shit about WWE as like former WWE guys. Well, I think give a shit about WWE in terms of maybe wanting to see them in Japan. But like there's a lot of wrestlers, and surprisingly so, that are big fans of a lot of different WWE wrestlers. Like yeah. I yeah, mean, Hiroshi yeah. Tanahashi loves Shawn Michaels. And <laughs> which I always thought was so funny. Um, and then... Um, so, you know, but I don't think yeah, Hiroshi sometimes Tanahashi... great wrestlers don't have great taste and wrestlers that they watch. <laughs> but Hiroshi Tanahashi was would never would never sign with WWE. No, no, absolutely not. Like, yeah, like doesn't Naito have like someone that he really likes in WWE as well? But, like, that's another one that is like never ever going to sign with WWE. Uh, no, I can't remember who. Um, I don't know who was the Joshi wrestler. I just saw this yesterday that like absolutely loved Kelly Kelly. Wait, what? Really? I don't remember oh, yeah. that one. Yeah, um, I think it was. 
I can't remember. I think it was someone in Stardom. I mean, but, uh, that's the one promotion where that actually somewhat makes sense, but still. Yeah. I mean, I, like regardless of who it is, it is someone that is just an infinitely better worker than Kelly Kelly. I think that's a very safe thing to say. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and then I guess, Paul, given what's going on now in all Japan, what do you think of Tajiri's booking? Because it's clearly like Total Eclipse was his fingerprints all over it. And the junior it division. It was mediocre at best, I would say. It was better than whatever they were doing, or what they were doing with like Voodoo Murderers around the, the Budokan show because that was just kind of really shit and it t- took like the wind out of like this promotion sales really. But I also don't feel like his booking was like, like I did like the first half of the year. Like I think they did a lot of interesting stuff in the first half of the year. But I think it's already questionable how involved he still was in that because he also went on that lengthy like excursion and everything. So like probably he was already like, I don't know, like his power was already reducing at that point. I don't think he was like completely out of power at that point, but it was definitely like more of a committee already. So like I think really like because he booked probably for like most of like 2021, right? Which is, probably. I don't know, it wasn't the well, bad year, was, was just kind of a, an interesting year. Ishikawa was doing stuff too. But, I mean, Tajiri was almost certainly booking, I think, the junior division. And that was like some of the worst stuff in in years. And it's weird, Tajiri leaves and then all of a sudden the division looks like the best it has in years. Yeah, like, because like, yeah, the moment, like, because as bad as like all the Voodoo Murder stuff on top was, like the junior division just completely like, turned around and all of a sudden they started pushing all of the young guys and it actually worked and they got over. So yeah, weird how that works. So yeah, I don't know. And especially like think the thing that probably left like the worst taste in my mouth was him giving a title reign to Super Crazy. Especially because Super Crazy then immediately goes, turns around and like jumps to Noah. Like that was just like completely unnecessary. Like no one benefited from that except for Super Crazy. No one really wanted this. I don't think even like Japanese fans were like, happy to see this so yeah no that was just a complete failure that was like by far his worst booking decision absolutely and uh well i mean it wouldn't shock me if stuff like that eventually caught up to him you know on the from the board of directors and president fukuda and and all those guys like what is he doing with all of this stuff it you know so yeah um that's tajiri you know it's funny paul because i was watching uh the secret santa match uh, that I was given for the Voices of Wrestling Secret Santa today. And uh, uh, it was a tag team turmoil from uh, Backlash 2005. And in it was uh, William Regal and Tajiri as the champions, or at least they were the champions going into the match. And uh, it wasn't a very good match at all. Very like classic paint-by-numbers WWE like gauntlet thing that you see on the pay-per-views in the tag teams. But God damn it, if Tajiri wasn't great, <laughs> like the best part of the match back then you know and i watched him in ecw and everything right and i loved him so you know yeah no, like, i remember change. tajiri was like he was really good for a really long time it's just i think he really was the moment really he started good. like breaking down was funnily enough like the moment when he came into all japan yep i mean he i think he did did he debut in 95 or was it earlier because he was good by 97 he was really good by 97 yeah, he was definitely one. He was a fast learner, yeah. And, like, he kept up really good working style for a really long time. Like, he also adapted really well. Like, when he started to, like, slow down, he adapted really well to, like, 
the veteran style and then it was just like yeah just like four or five years ago when he just completely just lost it yeah so um that's i think about it we covered the departures we covered the shows we covered the upcoming shows paul uh, do you have any final thoughts because we talked about a lot about all japan today well i am maybe just quickly mentioning that uh, i still need to watch actually my uh secret santa match but let's just say it is a match that we would probably like review if we ever do like a, a historical show about all japan <laughs> cool uh, so you can look forward to that. That will those will be going up on Voice of Wrestling very soon, and I guess you know I I don't know. I mean I'm still I probably to a fault, but um, I don't know. I think the January shows look good, and I'm pretty hopeful about that. Yeah, I, I think, think I'm I'm good. I'm not worried about these departures at all. I think I actually all of them are net positives. Right, or maybe not uh, yeah, Izanagi not even... leaving, but like Izanagi was always going to leave. Like I think even it... even if. That person doesn't come in. Like, I think Izanagi's leaving anyway. Well, it's not even just the departures. It's just like, okay, so we still have the voodoo murders slogging around. But, I don't know. January looks good. So, hopefully, you know, we'll have some sort of sense, like, what exactly is going to go on. And can we finally rid ourselves of this? And, because, um, like, I think, it, yeah, 2021 also had like a really good first half and then before things sort of fell apart or declined and maybe fell apart strong uh, word but declined in the second half of the year so it would not shock me and 2019 2019 i think is the word like 2019 had a great first half and then it just fell apart when aoki died yes yes also so um I would not shock me if we come back on a show in March or February and we're like, oh, all Japan is so great. And then by the end of the summer, we want to, uh, uh, I don't know, we're taking pot shots at Suwama again or something like that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into like, I don't know, like no, November and like Yuma still hasn't won the Triple Crown and Tajiri just keeps ringing his phone and yeah, let's see. <laughs> What's what's William Regal doing coming out after this All Asia Tag Title match? <laughs> it's Tajiri and William Regal for <laughs> against like Yoshi Tatsu and like Black Mansory for the All Asia Tag Titles. Oh well, I mean if the, if if WWE's coming, you know, talk is going to be there. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. I don't know. I, I just really, I just want A, I want WWE to stay away as far from Japan as they can, and I doubly badly want them to stay away from all Japan because that is just the most likely target for them. Well, since we're on this topic, I'm just going to say this because this is something that just really bothers me. But I hate when I've seen this several times. I hate when people say Tony Khan should buy all Japan. No, fuck off. No, he shouldn't. <laughs> He absolutely shouldn't. Like, there's no reason for him to buy it because I don't think no. the people realize the what people... he's buying. He's not buying the fucking tape library. They don't control that. The the people saying that Tony Khan should buy All Japan don't even watch All Japan. So just fuck off. I, you know, that's my sense of, of of that whole thing. But anyway, I think we've talked long enough about all of this. Um, I don't know about our recording schedule over the holidays. We'll probably record something at some point um or maybe something even special uh but we'll get back to you on that and we'll figure it out but um so paul um i think though you can say that feeling good in 2023 yeah i think i'm feeling good for 2023 for both promotions i think the all japan kind of 
January schedule looks very promising. I think the boot like what I've from what I've heard, like tickets for the Budokan show for Noah move really, really well. And yes. I'm really looking forward to that show as well. So yeah, I think both promotions are like kinda like entering twenty twenty three at least with potential to have a good year. We'll see if they'll actually like manage to capitalize on that in January or if one or both of them kinda like shed the bat out of the gate. <laughs> <laughs> uh well um a bad booking decision in either company could definitely do that so we will see all right so for paul vosh i'm gerard detroit and we will talk to you in a few weeks hey everybody my name is jesse collings and i want to tell you all about my show the gentleman's wrestling podcast here on the voices of wrestling podcast network on the gentleman's wrestling podcast We do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media. We talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture. And we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks.